Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Podditors. I hope you're well. In this week's episode, I speak to podcaster, content creator, and author Kagi Dunlop. We discuss Saturn Returns, which is the name and subject of her podcast and new book, as well as creativity, sobriety, and so much more. I hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, please do rate, review, and subscribe. Bye. Hi, Kagi. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. So can we talk about the last time I saw you, I, I came on your podcast and I, and it's been maybe a couple of years, I think. You came on, I think it was in the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So maybe a few years. And I feel like, and I was just saying to you before, it's so funny because in that time, so much has changed and I haven't had my Saturn return. So it's not that <laughs> it's just life. But can you tell me, because your podcast obviously and the book is all about your Saturn return, which is a really specific time. Well, you can tell us what your Saturn return is actually. Well, your Saturn return is something that happens in your late 20s as Saturn returns to the same place in the sky it was when you were born. And so within the realms of astrology, this is a moment where you kind of have an initiation into adulthood and it's your cosmic coming of age, as I like to say in the book, where you have a lot of tough life lessons. And ultimately it's about uncovering whether you've been living authentically. So for certain people, it can mean just up-leveling, perhaps they'll get the job promotion or they will the, the relationship will solidify to the next level and they might get engaged or have a kid. But for others, it's more turbulent and sort of strips a lot of things away. But it's doing this so that we can establish a healthier foundation that is more authentic and more truthful to the things that are aligned for us. During people's Saturn return, they'll often have a big career shift or pivot or a relationship might suddenly end. Friendships changing is a big one as well. So it's it's a big moment. It's a big moment. So it's been interesting kind of creating this whole body of work around this particular area. I think it's so interesting. I am quite concerned about what mine's going to be because I'm like, if I have another breakup, I think I'm just going to have to be celibate for the rest of my life because I've had enough for a lifetime. I mean... I did. So uh, you go through your progressed lunar return, which is less known than your Saturn return. And that's just before your Saturn return. And that can be equally turbulent on a kind of emotional level where everything kind of gets stirred around. When I was 27, I moved to LA, went through a breakup. And that's really perhaps when I felt, yeah, that's where everything started to kind of unravel. And then that's when I started to learn more about astrology and Saturn return and then started writing about it, actually. So could you tell me, so this podcast is about your whole time of your whole life and kind of focusing on it all stemmed from when I I had a breakup at 28 and kind of everyone was asking me, how does it feel to be single at 28? Because we have these preordained ideas, especially as women, that kind of we need to be in a relationship settled before we're 30 so that we're we're following along this trail of like, you know, baby by 32, whatever it is, this, this kind of idea that we have in our heads not just with relationships and and like romance or whatever else, how has your personal timeline kind of deviated from what you would have imagined, I don't know, as a young girl, what things maybe have gone wrong or differently and what things have actually turned out perfectly, but you wouldn't have sort of organized it that way if you'd had the choice? Well, I don't wouldn't say anything's turned out perfectly, but, you know, the beauty and especially, you know, my biggest shift was during my Saturn return. And when I reflect back, before that time, I wanted things to go perfectly. And I had certain expectations and certain criteria. And like you say, for women, especially, you have to have ticked all these boxes by a certain age and stage of life. And I really felt like I was falling behind. And I think there's a lot of shame and isolation that people experience. But then when I was on the other side, 
of my 30s, you know, coming out of my Saturn return, I realized that that was all, it's all sort of internalized societal pressure and these narratives that aren't actually based in reality. Whilst the biological clock is a very real pressure and we can get into that, I think the other stuff we have to kind of consciously dismantle and that's been a big part of my own personal journey and process because I recognized that a lot of the things that I thought I needed to be to achieve would just weren't even really true for me and one of those was you know growing up essentially on tv and for those that don't know I did reality tv in my early 20s that kind of put me on an interesting path where I thought that fit you know I associated a lot of worth and validation through fame and I think today we live in a world where everyone's doing that in their own sort of capacity whether that's just the network of friends they have at school liking them on social media or to the scale of you know what you've experienced growing up with living in a very digital way and for me it was living you know, through entertainment and reality TV. And so when I started to, I guess, derive my worth from that validation, I then think that I was seeking things or making career decisions based off that. And so a lot of what I wanted to do, and then also like, it's so hard to discern between what you want, your own voice, and not just echoing the voices of those around you. And I'm finding that again at the moment, so many people are like, you should do this, you should go there, you should do this, and like, you shouldn't do that. And it's so hard just to quieten down that noise and just really get truthful with yourself and go inward. So I mean, I've probably gone off on a million tangents here from what you asked. So many things I want to ask. So you said that when you were in your 20s or like just so you're going through your Saturn return or about to, you felt like you were falling behind. What In what areas were you feeling like you were kind of behind this? Mainly, so 27, I was in a relationship or I just left a relationship. We'd been together for about a year or we'd broken up and then got back together. And I think he wanted to settle down and have a family and was probably at that stage and had his career going and everything. Whereas I felt like that wasn't my path. I just knew he was a lovely, lovely person. It just wasn't right for me. And so I made the decision to leave that relationship and move to LA without really any plan aside from I had this sort of romanticized idea that I was going to go and do acting and music which is what I was pursuing at the time but in many ways I think I was escaping reality and also escaping myself which is something that I have always less now but that was something I did in my 20s a lot like escapism through various means and so actually when I moved to LA and was pursuing these things. I was actually looking back and finding like some music that I'd written out there and stuff. But I, LA was so vast and overwhelming that picking, you know, the decisions I made there, I was so scared of getting them wrong. And I think almost the fear of getting them wrong meant that I did get them wrong. And also something that I speak about a lot on the podcast is how we subcontract our own authority. So we might have an idea of what we want to do or how we want our life to unfold, but then we seek the approval or someone to come along and tell us exactly how to do it. And I was very much in that headspace then. But I think for a lot of women, and especially in the entertainment industry, that's quite common. You know, we have this like hierarchy of, you have the talent and then people that are like your managers or agents or whatever. And they're often the gatekeepers to a lot of opportunities. So... I, yeah, I was kind of very overwhelmed during my time in LA and pushing towards the end, pushing so much and wanting something to happen for perhaps the wrong reasons and became like perfectionistic about things. Creativity is an interesting one because I think it's something that brings us a lot of joy, but it also creates a lot of turmoil because I don't know about you because I know you're very creative with your painting and everything but when it comes to actually putting it out you get faced with all these blocks and all these demons and that I found particularly hard. 
it's so funny <clears throat> what you say about kind of like wanting approval and also not sure when you kind of like know what you want to be doing next but you let other people guide you in the wrong direction I've had that so many times and every time when I've made a really hard decision that everyone was like you shouldn't be doing that and whether that's like turning a really good opportunity in vertical comes down or like choosing it's always been the right choice and every mm. time I've done something where I felt slightly resistant to it but been like they know what they're talking about so I should do it it's always gone wrong <laughs> totally. and it's taken me ages to learn that and now I kind of am really learning to be like actually I know this sounds amazing but I know that if I do that, that it's going to take away room for other things that might come up later that is actually a way better suited option. Yeah. And it's also, we don't really cultivate or encourage listening to that inner knowing or spending the time carving out, you know, exactly what we want for ourselves. And I think for me as well, it's it's something that I'm, it's a, it's a sort of lesson that's coming back around now where it's like there are multiple avenues and opportunities, but it's like, which one are you going to choose and based on what reasoning? And I can find that, I can find that quite an overwhelming place to be. What did you, before you did reality TV, what were you imagining your career would look like? Have you always wanted to do your music and are you still doing that now? So the music was a really interesting thing for me. It's a sort of love affair that's like love, hate. I was never brought up in a musical capacity it wasn't in my and I think with a, a lot of artists they are brought up you know immersed in that world whereas for me my family was not musical no one knew that I liked singing it was like this secret that I kept and I, I still haven't really unpacked why but it was something that I would like if my mom's like I'm gonna go to the shops I can't remember what age I was, but pretty young, but old enough to be left alone. She would say, I would say, how long are you going to be? And then she would say, oh, like 10 minutes, you know, what a weird question. And I would be wanting to know so I knew how long I had to sing. Oh, I know. that's so sad, <laughs> poor little thing. No. And then she would come back and the keys would go in the door and I would be like mortified that she might have heard me. So again, it kind of, it ties in, I think, to this, this theme that I've struggled with that I think a lot of us do is like of perfectionism of not being scared to be seen in a certain way if it's not going to be met with the right reaction or if mm. it might be criticized. So if you aren't brought up with that's nurturing those things, that's naturally pulled those abilities from you and that's encouraging you to kind of try it out, but it's something that's quite innate in you. It just felt like this almost like shameful secret, but something I had a desire to do, but was painfully shy about it. And then I went to drama school in New York when I was 19 and 1920. And I did a semester there of singing. And I remember when I picked it, my parents were like, why are you even singing? You don't sing. I was like, oh, I'm just trying it. And I honestly, I couldn't get up in the class. Like I, even thinking about it makes me anxious. So it would go around and everyone would just be, you know, singing the musicals. And I, I was just so like shaking so much. I was like, I can't, I can't go. And so it was always this thing that I desired, but I wouldn't let myself do because I was afraid of, being judged and then what happened was my parents I got a I had a laptop like my first laptop and it has Apple laptop and it had garage band so what I do was the step up because I used to record myself oh. on my mum's like tape recorder yeah. yeah obviously she never heard it and then I had this laptop so I would record it on garage band and actually it was a much better quality I could hear it back and then one Christmas, my dad opened up my computer because he wanted to like see something and it started playing because it was already in that. Yeah, that's what the thing was when he opened it. And then the, I came downstairs and my dad was like, is this you? Like, <laughs> what's going on? And I was so embarrassed. But that's how the music started. That's so sweet. I wonder if it's because it's something so precious to you. It is, yeah. That that's why you're so scared because I feel like, I. so I started doing stand-up and everyone's like, oh my God, are you not really nervous? And I'm like, no, because I know that I'm not going to be like good at it when I start. So it doesn't, I'm not that stressed because I don't feel like something I own or that's something that I like, it, I came to it late kind of thing. And I was like, I'll just try it. And if I'm shit, it doesn't matter. Whereas if you've built this thing around it where you've always kept it inside and you've always been scared, it's like you've basically turned it into this massive thing in your mind <laughs> yeah. because he's like how it is so thing. close yeah. and so it's like 
you've you've like probably somewhere in your brain you've it's it's so special it's so secret so you couldn't possibly let it go because then it's like you love it so much that if someone maybe it's a fear that it could get taken away from you you'd lose the pleasure in it if someone wasn't like yeah Yeah. if someone critiqued it well that's I think it bought me a lot of joy just doing it on my own so then the idea of sharing sharing it and that and then it not being met with the same uh acceptance or encouragement and then I think you know then I did when I did Made in Chelsea they got me on the show by basically saying (laughs) I don't know if many people even know this but they were asking me when they were interviewing me I was like I don't know whether this is for me and they said well, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And I was like, well, I'm actually... And it was just at the same time when my dad had found this singing. And I was like, I'm trying to get into singing. It's something that I really want to do more of. And the next thing I know is they'd written the first episode and they were like, so you're doing a performance at the Troubadour? <gasps> did you do that? I can't remember now. I did. did you do that on the show? And that was my That's first. So, funny. so I literally went from like, <gasps> couldn't get up in drama class to having five cameras and it going out on TV and my whole family were like, what's going on? So that was quite a baptism of fire for me. That was my first ever performance. But then of course that catapulted me into fame, but then people presumed that I was a musician or doing music, whereas I really wasn't, I was totally green. And it was kind of terrifying because I didn't have much, I didn't have any confidence in it. So even though a lot of people were really nice, if I read one nasty thing, I was like, mm. oh my God, I'm terrible. I'm never doing it again. Because it can, if you've got that insecurity, you can have a thousand people, I get this, a thousand people say a nice thing, one person says one bad thing and it just ruins your day. So you're like, yeah. oh, well, they're right, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I have about music. So it's still quite a tortured thing. And when I left the show, I was pursuing music and I was doing a lot of gigs and stuff like that and I've written and recorded so much music some that may never see the light of day and that's kind of a bit sad Mm. but I just found it hard to negotiate with that sort of inner turmoil that I experienced or that anxiety around performing or putting myself out there but I think I think a lot of people have that in something you might not even know that that's something that they want to do or that brings them joy. I mean, you said that for you, stand-up is quite a natural space, but is there something that you have that kind of fear around? I do. I really have it with writing because I really, really want to be a writer and I love reading. So for me, writing, putting writing out there, it makes me feel sick because I'm like, if someone, like exactly what you said, if someone says this is bad... It's dreams uh, killed. It's, yeah, it's the end of it's the end of that then. Yeah. You know? So that is kind of like where I got really, really, really scared. And because I read so much, I know how good I am and, and like how bad I am. Because yeah. there's a really good quote. I feel like I've said this probably a thousand times, but I read a book recently called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And it's like there comes a point in every creative's life when your taste exceeds your abilities. So basically, and, and the only way to get through that is by creating anyway. But that's how I feel is like the things I love, I'm not as capable as the things that I love but I'll never get as good as them if I don't do it anyway but that's really scary yeah I'm actually reading this it's called the courage to create I think it's courage to create Africa oh yeah she's always putting out stuff about it so I was like okay I'm gonna read this and it's quite it's sort of talking about how creativity is our way that we can actually leave a sort of permanent mark of you know ourselves and our our life's work and but this kind of battle we have with expressing it and why it's such a challenging process but I think that's part of what makes it magical do you know what I mean I don't I think if people were really honest about the creative process most people have a lot of demons that they battle with along the way and it's it's the sort of area that I find myself coming back into strangely even though it doesn't necessarily seem obviously tied in with Saturn returns, but it seems to be in my vocabulary and in my conversations about the importance of creative expression, whether that's because people want it to change their career or just as an expression of, of self and like who you are. And I think that it's important to bring these things you know, to showcase your abilities. And I think I've realized that there are a couple of things in my life that I want to put out that are, I think it's a book called Big Magic. I think it's mm, Elizabeth Yeah, Gilbert. amazing. I, I listened to that not that long ago. Unbelievable. Well, it's got the idea that, you know, your 
ideas or your creative concepts choose you. Yeah, I love that. Which I really love. And I think that's so true because often, and this is tied into Saturn Returns because that's often the moment when people start bringing their ideas or their concepts into the material world. So you'll suddenly, suddenly see people do a career shift and they'll start up a business or a company and you'll be like, where did that come from? Mm. And you think it's just this random thing that they randomly decided to do, but actually it's probably something that they've had as an idea for years. And then, you know, within astrology, they say that it's using Saturn's energy to kind of bring that to life. But I also just love that concept because I think we all have creative ideas or things that just keep coming to us, you know, and I think it's always a very good indication if a lot of time has passed and that idea is still there and it's still strong. You've got to do something about it because otherwise it will move on and find someone else to bring it to life because it's chosen you because it wants you to do it. But if you're not going to get up and do it, it will move along. And it's so, when I, so I was listening to that because I've got a big project that I've been working on and I've had that where I've had so many ideas that I, I basically had a three month window where if I hadn't acted on them, they then go and then you see someone else doing it and you're you like, I, and then also you're not it. in a position to do it anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. And I have had so many points in my life when I could have taken so many different avenues mm. and I can kind of look back as if it's like a game and I went, actually I'll do that. And then you go, okay. And then everything follows a trail of like what decision you made last. I but there know. was points like a few years ago when I would be in a complete, you're talking about completely different things, doing completely different stuff. It's weird, like looking back how you kind of latch onto certain things or don't with others. And that's what's so interesting as well about timelines and how they can sort of like go in a different direction based off these decisions. And I think a huge component is trust, mm. you know, putting out, putting out creative projects and having faith in your ideas is not easy and you're going to meet a lot of people that are going to tell you it's stupid or they don't get it and I think it's also important to keep your ideas sacred until you feel really secure about them because something that I would always go and do is like profess my ideas and say oh I'm going to do this I'm going to create this I remember my mum once saying stop with all these pie in the sky ideas and me and one of my best friends who's the director we always joke that we just have so many pie in the sky ideas but you know, sometimes those ideas are really valuable. Yeah. And if you go sharing it too soon, it can kind of pop Yeah, that dream. I wanted to ask, sorry, I'm completely going back, but I was thinking about like validation and stuff. And you were talking about how fame was such a big component of how you were measuring success. At what point did you change that success metric and realize that chasing that wasn't going to be useful or valuable to you? Yeah, it wasn't emotionally fulfilling. So it was... There was a clear moment where I actually went through, so my Saturn return, I went through a breakup that was very dramatic. It was one of those ones that I thought we, it was all kind of fixed and that was my person. And then suddenly the rug was pulled from underneath me. And in the process of kind of healing from that, I went to see a healer and the healer ended up, she was sort of reading my body like energetically and she was asking me what I did. And at the time I was pursuing music and things were actually going quite well. Like I was releasing it, it was getting good traction. But I was, and so I said, I'm a, I'm a singer. And she was like, it's not resonating in your body. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. But it was just the directness. But it gave me the freedom to actually have an honest conversation about it. And I was just like, I sighed and I was like, I, I know. And I was like, but I don't. I've been pursuing it for so long. I've committed to it that I feel like I have to carry on. And at that point I was 30, you know? And so I felt that pressure cooker and like of time. I was like, I've picked this now. I, I have to carry on doing it. And she was like, well, tell me the things that light you up, that you enjoy. And so I was like, well, I love, you know, I love astrology. I love spirituality. I love poetry. I love writing. I love community. I love connecting. And just was like saying all the stuff and she was like nodding along. She was like, yeah, these are all true for you. And these are the things you're supposed to be doing. But I was like, but how is that a career? And she was like, you need to open up your language around what you're doing and stop saying that you know, mm. which I found really interesting. She was like, "Say, be okay with saying you don't know, like, because you're going to create more room and more space for the things that are meant for you. And it was just something about that giving being given that permission to not know 
at that age and be okay with it felt like I suddenly took off a backpack of opinions that I've been carrying uphill for years and started I, I explain this in the book it's like I felt like I was suddenly running downhill again and I felt free and I didn't know what direction I was going in but I was okay with that and so that was a real pivotal moment and then everything actually did start falling into place so that breakup was a catalyst and then I really started leaning into my spiritual practice and then a couple of people approached me saying have you considered doing a podcast and because of my time in LA when I started writing the concept of Saturn Returns I kind of revived that and I was like this would actually apply really well as like a toolkit for people going through their Saturn Return and it came from a place of passion purpose but I was doing it like it was so like innate and intrinsic in me that I just felt so aligned with everything about it I never really thought about it being a success or a failure I didn't actually really care I was like this is what I want to put out into the world and all those things just kind of came together at the right time you know all those elements that I couldn't have predicted and you know I never imagined I would be working in the space that I am now but at the same time I couldn't imagine doing anything else it's so interesting about Saturn's and, and now it's like so successful and you've got your book and you your life shows that it's it's amazing it's turned into its whole own kind of like mini empire yeah. and I felt the same when I first started adulting when it's in its first situation I didn't it was like the minute I came up with the idea, I was like, oh, I literally can't wait to do this. And I'd never checked the listener stats or anything. It was only when it got to like a million lists. I was like, oh my God, this is doing really well. I should like, maybe try and like monetize this. I like turn it. <laughs> I didn't because, and I, and it taught me so much that like when I felt like stopping it, the minute I got that feeling that like I don't think this is right anymore. I was like, I have to stop it because I'll run it. I might ruin it if I keep going. And when then it's not feeling and in it's flow. not right. I just knew that it might. So I just, I took a break for like two years and, and now it's about this new idea, which again, sort of, it was one of the things that kind of came to me. I was like, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. And it's taught me a lot about when to kind of leave things be and when to take th things. And I wanted to go back to that thing you were saying about seeing yourself as a singer and not, and, and really like drilling down into that. I've had this, well, you get these self-limiting beliefs because you're basically blocking off any other, you've got your blinkers on, you're like, that's yeah. what I'm doing. Tunnel vision. Yeah. This is and who I am. You don't so it becomes actually, your identity as exactly. well. Exactly. And then you don't allow yourself, because loads of stuff is actually just like you said, have, being open-minded to letting yourself fall into something new or. Yeah. Because I think we have, we do, and also we, no one cares really what anyone else is doing, but in your brain you think, well, this is going to be such a big deal for everyone if I suddenly am like <laughs> doing something else. No one and You realize no one really no. cares. Everyone's so busy kind of on their own stuff. But it's, it's an interesting one, what you just mentioned about being able to discern between whether something is like going through a transition or a difficult period and to stick it out versus knowing to pull away or to kind of shift gears or go in a slightly different direction because I'm someone I think that I can always think that I need to be doing more and I find it hard to recognize when something is actually doing really well you know day to day because I think I get I want to kind of yeah I don't know I always feel like I could do, be doing more because and we've touched on the music stuff, but I don't think that it was that music wasn't authentic for me. I think pursuing music in the way that I was wasn't mm. right. And I think for me, the music is going to exist in a completely different way that I don't think anyone would understand. I think I have to demonstrate it. So I guess what you're saying is that you were looking, but especially because you've been on that tra trajectory from Made in Chelsea is like the music you wanted to like, you were trying to make it, but like to make the make music kind of a a fame thing in of its own right without realizing. So it was like more of a, it was like. Well, I felt, I think I felt that pressure too, because people were like, well, if she's left, you know, a hit reality show, what's she going to do in music? Yeah. And the press can be notoriously cruel in that. They don't really have much room for, you know, an artist trying to figure out who she is. But also I, I think I didn't really like fame. That's the thing. But I, got a lot of validation from mm. it but it actually has never felt I always shied away from it there was a reason that I left that there was a reason I didn't like going to events or didn't like being in the press and so creating Saturn Returns has given me a community versus an audience and that's a lot more nurturing and a lot, a lot more rewarding for me putting out music 
to that community mm. as another asset and aspect of who I am and demonstrating the importance of creative expression, which I think we all should do. But that's really what I want to do it for because I think when we're when we're young, we do these things that bring us joy. We're very playful. We don't think, oh, how is learning the piano gonna mm. make make me money? But when we're older, we become so career focused that we disengage from these aspects of ourselves that are actually really important just for our overall well-being. We just cut out the creative part if it's not our job or our earner. And I think for me, it's about reclaiming those aspects in a way that feels like I have ownership over them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I wanted to go back to the fame thing because I think it's really interesting. I'm, I have not experienced fame in any real way again like being an influence completely different thing but the taste that I've had of it I think it seems terrible as well like it's not something I'm attracted to I hate the idea of like I I like it actually petrifies me I'm worried if something did really well that I did to the point where people I don't think I ever will be in this remit but where people like like paparazzi I can't even imagine Mm. dealing with that do you think anyone actually enjoys it I think certain people do enjoy it there were aspects of it I did enjoy but if it happens too young you know fame should be a byproduct of the talent Mm. I think and when it's not and that is often the case with reality tv because you do get sort of thrown into the limelight overnight it can create this sort of strange it for me anyway it created this strange duality because I felt like I was trying to establish who I was as a person whilst this other entity was being created in the press and I was like that looks like me (laughs) but the way it was written you know the way I was written about didn't really feel I was and I'm sure a lot of people that are very famous might have that feeling you know it becomes this sort of entity that's separate from you in in a way you, but you seem very level-headed and like, how did it impact you? Like how did being, throwing into that, so how old were you when you first went on it? 21. So young. When I think about like Love Islanders and then you watch the show and like, I haven't actually watched the scene, but I do quite like it. And then I'm, they, they're so young and I'm like, I actually almost don't think you should be allowed to be on TV, relatively until you're 25. Do you think it's too young? I, well, you can see with a lot of people that become famous young how it can impact them because, you you know, it takes a long time to establish who you are as a human being and what you value and how you want to show up in the world. So if you have, if you have fame very young, I do think it can create a, a conflict there. But each to their own, I think everyone's very different and responds to it very differently. I'd say that I was quite a, always been quite an introspective and sensitive person. And perhaps it would be different now because I'm more grounded and more anchored. But at the time I couldn't, I wasn't really equipped to handle it. And that's why I kind of tapped out. And did did it have afterwards how much did that change your sense of self? Like what did, what were the, or, or was it, did you manage to kind of get out before there were any longer term sort of like? Well, I think I've, I've sort of had the, the shadow of reality TV and Made in Chelsea follow me around for a very long time. Sorry to keep asking like, about it. <laughs> and I still get asked about it a lot, but I guess it's, you know, it kind of is in many reasons, like why I'm here, it kind of put mm. me on the map. So it's important to acknowledge that these things bring a lot of opportunity. I more just find it interesting, I mean, because it's such a wild thing to do in your in your like early 20s and then come out and you've got a whole different career and you're very grounded from it. And that's not always the way, I guess. That's not always the way, but I would say that my experiences aren't any different to any other 
individual at my age just a little more heightened because mm. I think we all have experiences when we're say at university or we get our first job and we have a friendship group but after a certain while we're like this doesn't align with mm. my values this doesn't feel very good to be around this doesn't feel like the right job okay I need to make a change I don't really know what that change is but I need to make it and then we go through all these kind of transitions and it's a turbulent period our 20s mine was just like I say a little more heightened because it was part of the public domain and I had a whole audience of people telling me things (laughs) (laughs) about yourself that weren't true yeah I know that another thing that you've spoken about a lot is that you don't really drink anymore Mm -hmm. where did that come from and how did that fit in and how did that kind of change your your timeline sobriety was huge it was such a pivotal one for me because I recognized that throughout my 20s I was using alcohol as a sort of means of shape-shifting and it was like my method to be whoever I needed to be for whatever situation I found myself in and I had learned to be a chameleon by nature because again to go back to that like seeking external validation I wanted to be liked and loved by everyone when someone would say you know you can't be liked by everyone I I didn't accept that I was like but I have to be so alcohol was my way of doing that of kind of morphing myself to different people and I remember one of my oldest best friends it's like you have different caggies like you have caggy when you're around that person or caggy when you're with this person but they're all slightly different and I didn't even really realize that until they became more extreme and then it was from like 25 to 27 was you know or maybe 20, a bit later, like 27, 26, 27, was when I started experimenting with sobriety. So I would do massive periods of not drinking, but then I would start again. And eventually I had to look back and see, okay, if, you know, the graph of my life, when things are going well, I'm not drinking. And then when things kind of go not great again, I started drinking and especially with my mental health. So it became, once you have that kind of awareness, I think it's an act of self-harm to not listen and to not actually change your behavior. So I, I actually found a podcast called Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington, which kind of explores this term that she coined, Sober Curious, which is about an understanding that there's a whole spectrum between people that normal drink and people that are in AA let's say because I think especially as Brits we adopt this oh why aren't you drinking like is there something wrong with you are you an alcoholic whereas part of my work now and my mission is to encourage people to actually be like okay actually it just doesn't really agree with my mental health or being sober curious doesn't mean you abstain entirely Perhaps you like drink on very rare occasions, but it's just about normalizing sobriety as much as we normalize drinking, which I think is really important because at the end of the day, it's just a socially encouraged and normalized drug. You know, if I was at a dinner party, and be like, oh, why aren't you doing cocaine? You know, it's like people don't ask that, but they ask that about drinking. And so, yeah, that was tremendously pivotal for me because that anchored me more than anything else. When you said that, that is so funny when you're like, you need to normalize sobriety as much as you're always drinking. That is actually so funny that it, that you're right, that the norm is to actually drink and drink quite regularly. And I was going to say, before you said that so beautifully, much better than I was going to say it, that it's interesting. We used to have this idea that the only reason you would ever stop drinking or abstain from drinking is if you were like, it was wreaking havoc on your life and I think we can let alcohol like I've definitely like last year after my break I was going out quite a lot but I was like oh well I'm not like hungover and it's not really impacting my work and so I was like make up all these reasons to why like it wasn't bad enough but I actually didn't want to I wanted a break from alcohol but I felt like I needed a really good concrete reason Mm. to be like I'm actually just not going to drink for a bit and then I did dry January and I was like oh I feel amazing and I haven't really got drunk since but I and I do I still drink but I'm like really in this moment now where I'm going like it doesn't have to be you don't have to be having a breakdown <laughs> from alcohol you're allowed to just be like I'm not going to drink this weekend but that is as well it's so interesting how we're so 
we want to be part of a group so much. And it's this, I guess, this sort of conflict between authenticity and belonging that will, when we know that something's not right for us, but it's not so far gone that it's it's massive problem. So we'll just carry on. Yeah. But I, I do believe, and it's probably a bit controversial, that within the spectrum of addiction and one's relationship to alcohol, that you can move yourself along that line depending on your behavior, which is obvious. But what I'm saying is if you continue to ignore that, you can get it to a point where it becomes this beast that actually you cannot go near. And it can become a really dark thing that every day it's the thing that you think about. So for me, it's just about recognizing that early on and go, because I'm saying that from a place of experience. I have an addictive nature and I wasn't addicted, but I could see the train that it was on. And I was like, I'm using this as a tool to escape feelings that I find hard to sit with, to be different versions of myself because I don't know who I am or I don't like myself. And I could see that actually, if I continued in that process, that it could go down quite a dark route. And so actually it was about really pulling back and confronting those feelings and where they were coming from. So now I can actually approach it in a way that's like, if I wanted to have a drink on an occasion, that's okay. And I know I'm not gonna suddenly dive into you know oblivion, but equally, it just doesn't agree with me. It's so funny you said that because I've said that before where when I but towards the end of my relationship when I didn't realize I was doing this I was going out a lot and I used to go out with my friends and then stay at the houses because I think I just didn't want to go back to my flat yeah. nothing was wrong I just wasn't that happy in my relationship and then the minute we wow. broke up I didn't really do that anymore but I was going out to like 5am quite a lot and then I thought oh I have to stay at Poppy's house now because it's so late and I think half I was like using it as a reason to like kind of escape but not be present and then I had this kind of thing where I, one day I did wake up really hungover with my friend I was like oh my god I I rang my, my friend and I was like, oh my God, I really need to stop this. And then we were talking about, and I said, my favorite drink is a really nice glass of wine in Italy with a really nice pasta. And I never want to drink so much mm-hmm. that I can't have that drink. I don't want to have so many yeah. drinks at the bar that I don't even really want or shots or whatever that, that that gets taken away because that is actually, to me, certain like having a wine with a meal is a very different thing. It's like ritual. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's an act of ceremony, which is how it's like intended yeah. really. But I completely understand what you're saying. And I think that that's, you know I would love to encourage people to kind of get to that place because I think otherwise it can get to a point and that's why it's quite unique my setup because sometimes a lot of my friends don't drink at all and they're like how come you can't just be completely sober I'm like because there's still that very rare moment where I want to have that glass of wine in Italy I know that it might make me sleep badly or make me not feel great but I can roll the dice on that one occasion if I want to but just 99% of the time it's just not something that agrees with my system also from like a spiritual standpoint which is a whole nother conversation because I did a solo episode around this this week actually it was about like when you drink I believe you open yourself up to other entities that can kind of come in like negative energy yeah yeah, and like spiritual stuff that's you don't want to be See, messing with. It's so funny because I'm not, I, 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 I'm very open spirituality stuff, but I don't really know that much about it. But I definitely think that like a few drinks is good for me. Like I think max now I'm like five drinks is like max because I will be hung. I'll have a bit of a headache, but I'm not going to be like, whereas I would go out sometimes and just be like, couldn't tell you how many drinks mm. I've had. But when I'm trying, I will just, things will happen that would never, ha- and I don't mean because I'm like wasted, but I would like, have an argument that I wake up in the morning and just, I would I don't care it's about like this like I would never literally and I was thinking about this and I was like trying to be like if I can't control that if I can't do things in the way that I want to do them then I have to stop drinking at the point where that thing starts but when you said about the evil energy I was like god maybe it's I'm possessed because that is it is but if you think you know it's spirits it's called spirits <laughs> like think so about true. it and then it's just crazy to think that you know we normalize going out and getting blackouts but I would get blackouts but I would be walking talking and fully animated and making decisions and doing shit that the next day I would have basically no awareness of and that scares me yeah and it's you know sometimes people say that they're more themselves when they're drinking but I'm like I don't think 
I don't think that's true. I think it's just escaping yourself in a way that feels momentarily satisfying. So I don't know. I think I'm in too much. Like sometimes I really like drinking. Sometimes I have loads of fun with my friends and it can for like a release and it's really nice. But then other times, like when I drink too much or like I've definitely, I haven't done it for years. But I remember blacking out as well. And then I tell my friends and I've always done it luckily when I'd been with a group of my girlfriends and they'd be like we had no idea you were just I was I don't remember about four hours they're like you were fine if anything I think you may weirdly come across as more sober when you're blacked out because I, I think oh, Captain Grey talks about this you're like animal brain takes over and you just kind of are like no I had like a I have like a proper alter ego do you yeah <laughs> but- so my good friends that know have known me my whole life they know and it's like a switch that goes in my eyes and they're like oh we're done we're done with her like because I will just there'll be no reasoning with me and I'll just be diving around like everywhere nightmare well apparently <laughs> I think Catherine Gray said this she wrote the joy of yeah being the joy sober. of being sober she came on my podcast a few years ago and she was saying that basically I think when you're in blackout you you basically want to fuck eat and I can't remember the third you just want to be like an animal basically so you will just be on like I'm going to get late. I'm going to do whatever it is. Which in a way, like that's the thing. As someone that's quite sensitive to people's <laughs> energies and stuff, what I enjoyed about it was that complete disconnect. I didn't give a fuck like what was going on. I would, you know, shove people out. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Like, I can't imagine. Yeah, no, it. honestly. And then when so I would funny. hear about it, I'd be like, Mortified. I don't know who that is. But because I was just completely unaware of all that stuff and that's what I enjoyed. So for me, it's like finding the healthy ways of kind of disconnecting and and yeah that aren't destructive so I guess you're super spiritual and it's like a massive part of how you lead your life and I think this is interesting because there's lots of I remember when I was like in my very early 20s I would often meet women who were like my age or your age who had kind of had this party phase and now suddenly were just really into doing yoga and spirituality and I'd be like oh but I'm getting that it's like coming for me it always comes for you like I'm getting into the hot yoga and I'm like oh this is amazing and it's 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 funny because someone said to me and I'm not saying this is you, but a friend of mine said, she was like, it's always the women that loved like going to Ibiza and taking loads of drugs that end up going back to Ibiza and doing like being completely sober <laughs> because I'm being really into spirituality. And I'm not saying you did loads of drugs at all, but there's some, there's some sort of like similarity between being someone that loves to party and loves to drink oh, yeah, or yeah. take drugs. Well, it's an extremist. And then like finding a higher power in sobriety. There's some kind of balance totally because look when you are an extremist and you are prone to addiction you will always look to push you know the boat as as much as you can it's just about channeling that in a different direction direction. so I can tell someone that's like got addiction issues by the way they have tea like honestly I've been able to I'm like I know that person because you know it's channeled to a different thing so they stop drinking alcohol they're having like 50 cups of tea a day or they're doing yoga twice a day like it's just redirecting that energy and that sort of extremist nature so for me actually it's about being able to sit in neutrality of like being okay with what that looks like with the kind of mundane of life which I've is like in a way kind of my spiritual practice so I don't become too extreme the other way but I've been in those environments and I've got to say I love it because it's so funny the kind of people that gravitate towards that and there's a whole community of people that are and it's you know it's a lot more of a positive one but in its own its own way it's It's, like an addiction in itself and how does that change because I think cutting out alcohol I think one of the biggest fears as well is like so much of my friendships are built around going out and drinking or like living in London so much of what the city is about is going out at night and drinking and how does this, how has your, like, I guess your world evolved and changed? Like, has it changed your friendships? Has it changed the way you approach things? And, and I mean, half the thing with drinking, I'm like, God, if everyone was sober, I'd be sober. Do you know what I mean? But then I'm like, oh, well, it's fun. And I think a lot of people have that because it feels like, God, I'm going to lose a lot. You d- and to a degree you do. My friendship shifted massively because suddenly when I wasn't drinking and behaving that way, I didn't really feel aligned with those people or, you know, I just didn't want to do what they were doing. And so there was, I speak about it in the book as this like necessary fertile void when we go into this in-between where we're not who we used to be. We're not part of that tribe anymore, but we don't quite have the people that are aligned with us. And there's a lot of courage that is required for you to step into that space because you have to trust 
that in between. You have mm. to trust that the people that are for you will find you. And a big part of that for me was creating the Saturn Returns community. So many of my friends I've met through doing the podcast. And then, you know, when I went through this big breakup at 30, a friend introduced me to this girl called Kelly, which was like, I kind of say it was, you know, one love left and another love entered in a platonic love form. And since my friendships are probably fewer, but they're more solid and more meaningful. And I don't really even think about the drinking aspect because I'll go to things when everyone else is drinking and no one, like everyone knows now that I don't. So it's not a big deal. And it just means that when it gets to a point where if people are kind of taking it, you know, to that next level, I'll just take myself home. I think what what's the place that I find the most triggering is weddings. Because mm. that's when I get really bad social anxiety. I, f- I just find the whole process of it really awkward and all the small talk with everyone. And that's when I'm like, oh my God, I want to drink, I want to drink, I want to drink. And I also noticed I went on a solo trip to Devon quite recently because I just wanted just some time for myself. I think it's important to do. But when I went into the hotel and I felt like people, there were these couples there and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I want to drink. I feel so awkward. I feel so awkward. I want to drink. So it's still Mm. something I have to, you know, be aware of. I completely get that. But also we're kind of taught, it's very infrequently from actually quite a young age that you go to a social event where the minute you arrive, you aren't given a drink. So very from like, we actually don't experience what it feels like without drink, but not because we're always choosing to drink or because it's a conscious thing, but you turn up at a wedding, you're handed a glass of Prosecco, you turn up at any event. Anything, it's like a liquid safety blanket. Yeah, so when then you get to an event and you're not given one, it's like... But you're not only (laughs) not given one, you're you're saying, no, I don't want... So it's actually, if if you were never given one, it wouldn't be an issue, you wouldn't think about it. If you go to a cafe, you're not like, where's my glass of champagne? But But then it's like, you have to deal with this social environment, which is really only familiar with us once you've because that first sip does a million things doesn't it It like mm. completely you're like oh okay I'll be fine yeah so that I can imagine the why especially a wedding that must be tough yeah that's the time where it's the most challenging other stuff is not a big deal but I'm such a hermit these days as well so I don't like go out a huge amount do you want to get married I love sorry I love to I was talking about this in my stories the other day I just find it really interesting is do I want to get married you're... this is a really interesting topic because when me and my partner have discussed it I can't tell what's mine and what's societally imprinted on me. So at one point I'll be like, yeah, I don't know whether I believe it. I think when we first started dating, I was like trying to be very unconventional, not for him, just for myself, because I was at that age where, you know, I was 31. Everyone was kind of getting a bit, a bit scared, a bit nervous. And it's something that happens for women. This sort of like this period of time where everyone feels like the scarcity mindset like yeah. all the good ones are gone the pool <laughs> is very small the biological clock is ticking it's exa- it's exhausting all these things but then people pass them around they project it onto each other so I went through this phase when I was single of just like rejecting that if anyone came near me and said anything like that I'd be like no and I'd question it and I'd be like that I don't want to be absorbing that kind of narrative because I don't think it's true and I don't think it's healthy and I think it means that we make bad decisions and we settle for far less than we deserve so I was then also kind of reframing you know the marriage children thing I was like well what would a life look like if I didn't do those things what would a fulfilling life look like without those sort of traditional boxes being checked and then when I met my partner I definitely met him in a place where I felt very content on my own. I was like open to a relationship, but I was very clear on my non-negotiables, like what I really wanted from a partnership. And then, you know, as things have kind of unraveled and we've had these conversations, the more traditional things is something that I do want, want but I want it based off finding a partner that I want those things with you know Mm. it wasn't like I've never been someone that's so maternal that sort of looks at a baby and thinks I can't wait to have one but being with someone that I love that I can see as a father has kind of awoken that side of me Mm. and so now I'm I'm like wanting more traditional stuff the marriage piece you know I've again it's that is that just echoing the voices of 
the generations before us because so much has changed in society. But I think the way that we still view marriage and the way we we congratulate women disproportionately to how we congratulate men as if they've just come to life and been chosen and taken off the shelf is like, you know, you're, you, you're okay, is something that I have a bit of an issue with. And I would encourage people to question their reasoning for getting married, you know. I know, I feel really funny about this because I feel the same. I kind of am like, I don't, when I think of a marriage, I just think of a wedding. <laughs> I don't actually think about the Well, this is the thing. The and the, the pandemic really unpacked that because people weren't able to have these big weddings. And I think a lot of people do view getting married as about a wedding day. And that's why they get those post-wedding blues because it's less about the marriage and more about the day. So for me, it's really important that it's about the marriage. It's about building that commitment with someone. Yeah. And I do, because I think you can, ha- you can be committed to someone without being married. I know there's loads of really good fun. There's like lots of kind of legal reasons why being married is good. But I was talking about this in my stories the other day and people were like, but I want to feel that commitment. And I don't necessarily think, I actually love the idea of having a wedding day, but I I wouldn't be doing it for the marriage because I think I could yeah, be committed I, to someone for life without the marriage. Well, I think it's always sense. like, if you ask yourself, if you couldn't have a wedding, if you didn't have a big ring and you couldn't show it off and tell people you were engaged, oh, would, would you? Would, <laughs> no, exactly. And that <laughs> kind of says, yeah. says a lot. So... I don't know, but at the same, you know, I was trying to explain this to my partner because I think the way men and women view it is very different. But I said to him, I was brought up, I was in a wedding dress or I thought it was a wedding dress. I think it was yellow and a fairy outfit, but I was trying to marry my cousin at the age (laughs) of like four years old. You know what I mean? Like that was what has been programmed in us from such a young age, our big wedding day. And so... There is something I think in me that still romanticizes that mm. and wants that moment. But I think it's just a, important for it to be for the right reasons. It's I think what happens to me, and like you said about the maternal thing, I find that really interesting because I've heard lots of people say they either don't want kids or they desperately want children. Whereas I feel a bit like you where when I see someone do like a pregnancy announcement on Instagram and they're like showing their pregnancy status, like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I try and imagine feeling that way. And I can't really, but I'm also not like, I definitely don't want children, but I'm not like, more indifferent I haven't that. like had that thing where you're like, I can't, especially when I see girls that are slightly younger than me in their earlier twenties, I'm thinking, why do you feel like that? I'm like, where is this coming from? And same with the marriage thing where people are like, I can't wait to be married. It's more like, I, I, I'm I, like, why don't I have this? Like people replying like, I, I think marriage is so important. And I, then it's, it's more me reacting to people wanting it rather than me feeling innately sure I just am like I almost want to feel really really certain and I I don't have that feeling but I think that that's okay Mm. and I think we need to normalize those Mm. feelings and thoughts as well and not make it seem not make us feel less womanly because we don't feel maternal or if we choose not to have children that we're you know less of a woman in any way because I think it's motherhood is so wrapped up in defining what it means to be a woman that I think that that's a challenging thing for people and but today people are choosing all sorts of different avenues Mm. and that might mean not having children or not getting married but that doesn't mean you're not going to live a full and fulfilling life how old are you now 32 no 33 I Um, honestly keep forgetting how old (laughs) I am like I really I was like I'm 33 what does 33 feel like compared to like 28 for example like how I'm really excited about my 30s. I feel like everyone says it's like the best time. I love my 30s. Do you? Yeah. And that's another thing that I've really had to unpack is, you know, those corrosive sentences that women get. I even had lunch with a friend recently who's a man and he's a bit older. And he said that he was talking with his therapist. I hope he doesn't see this, but he was talking with his therapist about, you know, women between a certain age bracket of, 27 28 to like 35 and as he was saying this I was like okay I I am in this bracket he's like that they're crazy and stuff because they have this pressure cooker and all stuff and I was like even just saying that to Mm. me is not okay because it's it's untrue and it's really damaging to kind of pass that round because there's no reason that you should feel that way and men don't feel that way so I mean I've kind of gone on a golf 
gone off on a tangent, but when I was, I felt that pressure around 29, it was a bit more in my career, but I've just really tried to establish different groups of different friends. So I never feel like I'm the only one that's not doing something because I've got a collection of people around me that are living their life in very varied ways. So I can see how they are fulfilled without kids or, you know, people that are divorced and now living life independently or whatever it might be. Because when we only have friends that are doing the same thing and they've all got married and they've all got kids, of course, inevitably, we're going to feel like we're missing out. But actually, that's a really key component is diversifying the people you're spending time with. And my 30s have been so much better because I know myself and I know what I want and I feel content in my own company. The complicated thing is that within that, and I wonder how intentional this is in my sort of midnight hour thoughts, that society tells you a lot of things are no longer available to you. That you, you know, that if you haven't found the right partner, it's going to be really hard. Small pool, biological clock's ticking. You know, you've got your careers not where it's supposed to be, but you've got to have a kit. So there's all these things that are just kind of these pervasive things that are coming at us. And I think it's important to really reject them, you know, because you can change course at any moment in your life. You can change career. You can start something that you always wanted to do. Don't listen to people that are going to tell you otherwise because they are just projecting their own limitations onto you. It's so interesting what you said about that bracket that that, that guy said to you because I do think, even though I, it's really annoying for him to say that, I do also feel like that is true where you feel like I've got to get, everything's got to fit into that window, whether it's like getting to this point in my career where I'm settled enough and then having a partner so that if I'm going to have a baby, I've got all of my eggs and blah, blah, blah. But I've started to view things as like, why can't your career, why can't we just be working towards something and then your biggest moment is in your, like the crescendo happens when you're 55. That's amazing. Like, why does it have to be that, and it's yeah. all tied around like when women are the most fertile, the most beautiful to men. Like that's what it's all really centered on. All of those yeah. things. It's just based it's on the like, male lens. Yeah. When are they the most fuckable? That's when they've got to achieve everything. And then, but also that isn't true. Cause even from my, like my sisters and people that I know, women, as far as I'm concerned, get much more like beautiful in your thirties. I don't know if it's cause you know yourselves better or you learn style or whatever. But every woman that I know is kind of, and it sounds really basic, but compared to when I think everyone always used to be like, oh, 24, 23, which is so young. It's like when a woman peaks. I'm sure that's what people used to say. No, it's not about that. It's about when are women easily manipulated. Yeah, yeah. So if you're quite unsure of who you are, you can be crafted into whatever someone else mm. wants you to be. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of when you subcontract your own authority onto other people. So the patriarchy want women to feel like they're, opportunity is smaller just at the moment when they know who they are yeah that's so true I definitely and I that's and I'm kind of excited the reason I'm excited to get into my 30s as well is because I know that once you're past that point it's like I'm you're almost freed a little bit of some of that kind of pressure that comes with well on the the brink of any new decade there's a sort of sweet sense of novelty about yeah. it where you feel like you have a whole 10 years to figure it all out all <laughs> yeah. over again and then like at 39 I'm sure the anxiety begins again as you think I can't believe I'm about to be yeah, 40 so true. and then probably repeats but I just think I think the more the way I'm trying to view things is because so many things just don't work out whether it's like I've had a thousand things in my job in my life my, my career that almost happened that just didn't happen and I've had three like quite serious relationships that like the last one especially felt like that could have been forever and then it wasn't and so I think in a weird way I've been quite lucky to have so many false starts because it's made me really comfortable with being yeah. like this is just going to keep happening yeah I think where it could be really unsettling is if you have like a very steady career very steady partner everything's going quite like smoothly and funny, then the rugs pulled from yeah, underneath you. And I yeah. think I've been lucky that I've had all these like quite mini, not that trauma, not like that big of a deal, but just things going wrong. Yeah, I can relate to that. You know, it's about having that blank canvas all over again and seeing it as an opportunity rather than a dead end or that everything's fallen apart. And actually perhaps it's all falling together. I also do wonder though, if that's also me 
shaking things up constantly like because I actually I do wonder if a bit of that is me it maybe it's not happening to me maybe I'm making that happen do you know what I mean like kind of never letting things settle the dust settle and just being like I also think that that's something that does shift in your 30s because in my 20s I was kind of darting around and I still to a degree have to I that sort of neutrality thing of just allowing things to be as they are and letting them unfold as they're supposed to rather than trying to sort of be everywhere and and make things happen in the way that I want is that there's a sort of surrendering to that that I think happens as you get a bit older. Do you get itchy feet? I've been reading this book around perfectionism and I've just started it, but it sort of defines each of the perfectionists and I am in the category of the messy perfectionist, which isn't a surprise, but it's sort of this thing around that I constantly want to be starting new projects I love the beginning of anything new and I think that I can do 50 million things at once I struggle with the more granular day-to-day tasks the things that don't really seem like huge steps but that actually amount to something significant over time that's where that's my sort of toxic trait in business is that I probably want to be doing too much making too bigger leaps and actually appreciating that real change and real like significant stuff comes from those little things I really relate to that yeah and And I have to check myself because also it's coming I think it's probably still coming from a place of not enoughness you know I'm not doing enough so I need to add more to my plate whereas actually it's perhaps about refining what's already on my plate and doing it in you know a better way I think that's such a nice way of looking at it. Thank you so much for talking to me. I've absolutely loved this. Oh, thank you for having me. Where do you want to point the people in, in the direction? Obviously, you've got Saturn Returns, the book. Are you doing any more live We events? are going to be doing some live events. I've got one, depending on when this comes out. I'm going to be doing them at Mortimer House. Amazing. And then we've got some courses coming out. And then, of course, there's the book. So That's so exciting. Lots to look forward to. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I will see you next week. Bye.